All right, grab your Bible, jump into 2 Corinthians. That's what we've been working through. We're going back in there today. Um, hope you guys have had a great week. It's been a good week for me. Um, busy one, but a good one. If you want to hear about it, you can come tonight and hang out with us, hear all about it, and I can hear about yours. That's the beauty of gathering as the church. But anyway, grab your Bible, go to 2 Corinthians. Um, since I've said that already, I'll remind you again, this is not... Uh, Church, this is just me unpacking the Word of God, preaching through it. Tonight we'll come together, gather as the body here in uh, Tempe, Arizona. Love for you to come. You can hit us up online and you'll see uh, different ways you could do that, whether through social media or email or, uh, you know, website, whatever you want to do. Hit us up. We'll tell you how to find us. Love for you to come hang out and, um, you know, give us your thoughts. Tell us what the Holy Spirit's telling you. And if you don't know Him, even better. Come hang out with us and ask a bazillion questions. We'd love for you to do that. So we have been working through this series called A Cross-Shaped Life and uh, kind of examining what it means to live a life that's shaped by the cross. The theme verse that we've been looking at is 1 Corinthians 2.2, and we'll carry this all the way through, even though it's 1 Corinthians and not 2. But Paul says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So today we're taking the theme of a cross-shaped life and we're looking at the idea of taking me at my word. Now I know I'm saying taking me at my word, but um, this is Paul speaking, but we, we can, I wanted to word it that way. I just wanted to make it personal. Say the same for you, taking me at my word. Um, as our lives are more and more shaped by the cross and as the cross begins to guide more and more of what we do, if we're believers, then our identity is more and more found in Christ alone. And we may find ourselves in situations where people, especially when it's believers, it's more hurtful, but especially in those times where people are questioning our motives or people might uh, doubt our intentions or, or maybe they think our walk doesn't really match our talk. And, and it's not up to us to figure out why their heart is that way if they're a believer, but either way, you might run into those things. How can we know we have a clear conscience? How can we know that our conscience is clear on the matter and that, you know, what, what is it we need to do to prevent, you know, that from disrupting our own faith, questioning our own walk, questioning our own faith, and, and ultimately causing us to lash back out at them? So that's what we're going to go into today. So we grab a Bible, Second uh, Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, we're going to back into this, but I'm going to read verse 21 um right here just a couple of verses to get us started verse 21 and 22 don't have my glasses but fortunately this is a big enough bible i think i can see it so <laughs> it's rough getting old it says and it is god who establishes us with you in christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee Amen to that. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for your word. It's so amazing. Thank you for the blessing of being uh, equipped with it, for having access to it, for being able to guide our own lives by it, Lord, and even more importantly, uh, for having the tool to make disciples that are created and developed in your image. Help us do that faithfully, Lord. Not our image, but yours. And as I open it today and continue into your word, God, as always, it's your word, not mine. Don't ever want to put words in your mouth. I want the opposite, in fact. I want your word in my mouth. And I ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. You ever, uh, you ever work for a control freak? 
worked for a few of those who ever lived with a control freak. That might even be worse. Um, maybe there's something like you're perfectly able to do, completely able to do it, but even more so, maybe it's something you are specially made to do, like, like, like God created you, tailor-made for this particular type of work or task or thing. But when you get asked to do it, you constantly find yourself saying, I got this, I got this, I got this, you know, I got it. You ever talk to somebody and you tell them, like, you'll take care of this, like, whatever it is, you say, I'll take care of it, I got it. And they say, you promise? You promise? Like, repeatedly, you promise? You sure? You promise? You sure? What are, what are they implying when they say that? How about uh, those people who hand things to you, um, hand something off to you, hoping, just hoping to say, I told you, I knew it. I told you, I knew it. You, you know who these people are. They're just waiting for you to fail so that they can come through in, in some way and throw it in your face as though it was, it's your entire nature to fail at something that, uh, they think you should be trusted with. And, uh, therefore your word's not, not worth anything. Uh, you know, why is it taking me at my word, taking us at our word is so difficult sometimes. And we can go down a road and say, well, we lie or we, Perhaps there's a past there, but I'm just saying in general, assuming that that's not the case, why is it so hard to take us at our word? What does it mean to be taken at your word? You know, it's more than a blind trust. It's, it, it means there's valid reason that your word should be trusted. There is valid reason that your word should be trusted. So today, that's exactly the point that Paul is trying to make here. His character in particular, his word, is being called into question. And he points out that there's actually a really solid foundation for taking him at his word. So today, again, sometimes we find ourselves in situations where people question our decisions or doubt our integrity. And maybe they suggest that our walk doesn't match our talk. But we can have a clear conscience and we can expect to be taken at our word if we do three things that Paul points out here. One, preach one word, follow one direction, and accept one identity. So that's where we're going to pull out of the text here. Preach one word. Let's lay in right there. Second Corinthians 1, starting in verse 12. He says, for our boast, that word boast it's not arrogance. It's like a crown of honor. Like our, our crown of honor is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we have behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God and supremely so toward you. Uh, what Paul's saying here is the way we behave in the world everywhere, the way we behave everywhere, everywhere we are, is not demanding. It's not expecting not lording ourselves over others. We don't expect to kiss the ring, you know, make people kiss the ring and cause a fuss when we're there. Uh, we don't flash our credentials and demand deposit before we come in here and start helping you hear the gospel. You know, we don't, don't do that. He says we behave simply and humbly by grace. That's where he's going at it. Sincerely, honestly, simply, humbly by grace. Knowing though, Paul would say, by grace alone, he's been saved. We've talked about this before. Look at his past. 
that, that's why he can say that because he knows where he came from in grace. That's their lifestyle. And we're talking about Paul and Timothy, maybe Silas and some of these others, but Paul is saying that that's their lifestyle, their character, their, their integrity is centered on it. And their words are reflected in it, all of them, in all areas, wherever they are in the world. And then Paul says they live that same way, especially there in Corinth. So he's saying that they, they, that's how they always live, but they especially live that way in Corinth. But there's talk. We don't know what exactly, but there's clearly there's talk going on. Questioning Paul and his crew's integrity as though he says one thing, but then he says or does another. You know, look at verse 13. Paul says, we're not writing to you anything other than what you read from, from previous letters. There's more than just these two that we have in the Bible, but he's saying from these previous letters... Um, we're not writing to you anything other than what you read and understood, understand, and I hope you'll find, uh, fully understand, excuse me, verse 14, just as you did partially understand us. Apparently they understood him to some extent, but clearly they hadn't completely heard what he's saying. He says that on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, you will boast of us and we will boast of you. Paul's arguing that he's not writing anything to them apart from what he wrote the first time. You know, or the second time, or the third time, however many letters he's written to them by this point. The point is, no contradictions. I've been changed my story at any point in time. And that's because he's always written one thing. Christ. He's always writing Christ. It's Christ. Look at verse 19. It's Christ who we proclaimed. Paul has only been proclaiming the word of God to them. Paul knows that what he wrote was true and it was consistent and his conscience is clear here because he wrote about one person, one gospel, one word of God to them. I already read it. I'll read it a bunch more. First Corinthians 2, 2. For I have decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. There's a lot of celebrity pastors out there. Certainly, I'm not calling out any names. Uh, but you know who they are. Or you know who some of them are anyway. But they preach these powerful words. Uh, they, they have strong applications and they, they really kind of connect you and pull you in and they use amazing illustrations. They have great little quote taglines, uh, and bumper sticker statements. And, you know, something God told me as I was growing in ministry some years back, he said, and I, and I feel like I heard him say this and maybe I've told you this before. Some of you might have used it, but he said, stop making heroes of men and stop trying to win their approval. This is to me. God says, stop making heroes of men. Stop trying to win their approval. Paul and his crew, they weren't flashy. They were not noticeable in that sense. They were simply declaring God's word to the Corinthians. And they have a clear conscience here because, number one, they didn't write those words. God did. Anything he told them was something God led him to tell them. And now it's, it's scripture for us. And number two, they also lived by him. So whatever the words were that they were telling them in their very presence, they lived out with them. You know, um, proclaiming God's words today, look, it's not popular. No doubt about that. It's not popular today. But if you stay in his word, if you stay in his word, in his word alone, then it's, you realize it's not you who people are arguing with. 
if you stay in his word, it's not you that they're arguing with because it's going to only be his word because that's where you are. And your conscience should be clear about that. Your conscience then should be in a place that it sets you free to where you feel free in sharing it because it's something you can boast about. It's God's word, man. I'm proud of what I'm saying here because it's God's word. It's the same word I try to live by. It's the truth for you and for me. And then the argument then comes here, not with me. And Paul's hoping they understand here in the end of what he said there that they're united before God. Paul is the shepherd, them is the sheep. You know, Paul is the father, them is the children, all under God, of course, you know. Paul is the church planner, them is the church. They're united. Paul wishes for them to have as much pride in him as he has in them. He he wants to celebrate and brag on them. He loves them, and he wants them to feel the same way about him. They're in this thing together. Now, that's talking about bragging before Christ, not about what the world thinks. Nobody cares what the world thinks. He's talking about what God thinks when Christ returns. He told the uh, church in Thessalonica a very similar thing. First uh, Thessalonians 2.19, he says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting, there's that same idea, before our Lord Jesus when he comes, is it not you? For you, this church in Thessalonica, he says, you are our glory and our joy. These disciples that we've made to honor God who have become a church. Uh, but it would appear, clearly there are those there in Corinth that are saying, Paul, you're a liar. Uh, y'all don't listen to Paul. Don't pay attention to Paul. Paul's two-faced, you know. Because apparently they're claiming that Paul said he would come back and he hadn't come back yet. Paul said he'd come and he didn't come. Maybe they're suggesting he was afraid to come. Oh, he don't want to come stand face. He don't want to say those things to our face. He doesn't want to come stand over here. He's a liar. Um, but Paul preached one word and he followed one direction. Look at uh, 2 Corinthians 1 verse 15. He says, because I was sure of this, Paul said, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace or time with him. He says, I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and then come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. Judea is Israel. There was no nation of Israel by in its entirety that it existed since 730 B.C. when Assyria destroyed it. It's only been known by the southern kingdom, which is Judea at this time. So Paul's referring to going back there. But Paul planned to come through Corinth from Ephesus on his way to Macedonia, Greece area. Okay, But... And then he was going to come back from Macedonia, Greece area, back down to uh, Israel and perhaps come through again. I mean, but but none of that apparently has happened, or at least it hadn't happened yet at the time of the writing of this letter. He says in verse 17, so was I vacillating? Was I, was I spinning left and right when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. He's almost mocking them here. This is kind of strong in Paul's Paul's language. Paul gets pretty harsh at times. And when when you see in your Bible in the quotations, yes, yes, and quote, no, no, he's all but quoting them. He's kind of mocking there as though they were the ones saying those things, which they have been the ones apparently. And he's saying, our word to you has not been Yes and no. They're accusing Paul of being wishy-washy, right? Flip-flopping back and forth. that He's untrustworthy. And if he's untrustworthy, that was certainly calling to question 
his uh, dependability as an apostle or his authority to lead a church. And Paul argues he's never been back and forth here. I've never been back and forth here. Notice he says there, I was sure that I wanted to come back to you in verse 15. I wanted to visit you in verse 16. Uh, he says, uh, verse 17, I wanted to do this. You know what I mean? It's likely he never made any form of promises. He's telling them these are things he wants to do, but he didn't necessarily, I know he didn't promise it, because he doesn't operate in the flesh. That's what he's saying. I don't operate in the flesh. In other words, Paul's future has always been up to God. It's never been about what Paul's personal desires are. So yeah, he wants to come back, but it's not up to him. It's up to God. It's always been up to God. And he brings God's character to be his witness here. Look what he says. He's saying if God is a God who keeps his word and Paul is led by God alone and not his own desires, then Paul should be taken at his word too. That's where he's going to look at verse 19. He says, for the son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaim among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, Silvanus is Silas. He says, was not yes and no, but in him... It is always yes, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Paul uses the son of God title right there as another credential for his integrity and his trustworthiness. He's kind of throwing some heavy hitters out here. The very son of God, Jesus here. Paul lived a cross-shaped life to say the least. Paul lived that life. And here he immediately brings in Jesus, the Son of God, into the conversation, not trying to argue why his, Paul's own words should be trusted, but pointing to the fact that Jesus should be trusted. Jesus said he was going to a cross. Did he go? Or did he back out when suddenly it got really close and it started to get scary and the weight of it started to hit him? Did he back out of it? What Jesus said he came to do, he did. What he said he came to do, he did. No matter the shame, no matter the pain, no matter the cost, because of that, we can count on his word to be true. Because of that, the cross has saved us, and now we should be able to look at the cross and be reminded that God keeps his word. He said he was going there. He went there. He said he was going to die. He did. He said he was going to rise from the dead. He did. We can look at those things, and then we can come back and say, does God really love me? Look back at that cross. Yes, he does. Is God really going to come for me? Look at that empty grave. Yes, he will. He keeps his word. And Paul's identity is in Christ. So, Paul's only following the direction of that one, of Christ. That one is not him. That one is not the people of Corinth. It's Christ. That's who he's following. Christ is the one who fulfills all of God's promises. They all find their yes or their fulfillment In Christ, whether it's salvation, that's through Christ alone, or judgment, he will be the one that brings judgment. Whatever God has promised, Jesus is the one who accomplishes it and makes it so. And you can say amen to that. And that's exactly what he would point out. Amen, it means may it be or let it be. Amen gives us the privilege of calling on God in agreement with him in agreement with him, with his promises, to say yes. 
We're agreeing, yes, say yes, Lord, to this. We're agreeing to promises he's already made, and we're calling them to a yes, to bring to reality what his word has said, all right? And in doing so, we glorify him. We glorify him by doing that. And Paul, like before, when he aligned his words with God's word, he's aligning his plans with God's plans. He's saying this, look, look, he's saying this. If Jesus says yes, for us coming to see you, if Jesus says yes, if he promises a yes, then for certain, it's a yes. And naturally, if God says no, then it's no. I mean, basically, he uh, Paul can say yes all day. I'll tell you yes a hundred times if you want, but anything could happen. And he could die. Anything could happen. However, when God says yes, it's most certainly going to happen. So obviously, Paul is asking the Lord to say yes. Amen, Lord. Our amen is in him. Yes, Lord. Any yes that will come is going to come from him. And so our amen is in there. Yes, Lord, send us back. But then he's leaving it to him. And if they don't make it, then it's because God's not granted it yet. That's what he's saying. You know, the proverb, I'm sure he may even have told it to him. Proverbs 16, 9. The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. You can make all the plans you want, but you ain't going nowhere till he says so. It's his plan. But... One little side note, Josh will get into this a little bit next week, but if God had opened the door, if God had opened the door, Paul would have come back to them in person, no doubt, but clearly they were being spared from that because it would not have been a happy visit if he had come. Look at 2 Corinthians uh, 1, 23. We're going to stop at 22, but 23 says, But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Or in chapter 2, right at the beginning, he says, For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. So maybe he's also suggesting here they need to be thankful that God hadn't allowed him to come back this time. That being said, though, I love Paul's style, man. I love his style. That being said, look how he ends this. They're in this together. They're all following the same word. They're all saved by the same grace. They are going to boast in each other, not in themselves. And that boast is only going to come because of the yes of God, because of the promise of God. Which promise? Well, verse 21. You got preach one word, follow one direction, and accept one identity. Look what he says, verse 21. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ. If I stop right there, what an amazing statement that is. It is God who establishes us with you in Christ. Man, that's a strong statement. And then he, but he goes on. He says, and he's anointed us. Us there, I believe, is all of them. Paul, his companions, and the corn. All of them. Because he just said we're all together in this in Christ. And us. He's anointed us. All of us. And who uh, God who has also put his seal on us. All of us. And given us. All of us. His spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. What's the theme here? Us our it's their unity 
And, and it's more than just getting along unity. It's they're pulled together into one identity, and that's Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me, Paul would tell the Galatians. It is that the us is a collective one, and that's Christ. And that's what he's saying. The role of the Trinity here is amazing in this statement, what he's saying. God, God you could say the Father here, establishes us in Jesus Christ, his Son. And then we're sealed in Jesus Christ, his Son, by his Holy Spirit. They're all together. There's four participles here that are pretty wild. He uses that word. He said that word establishes. That's the first one. Obviously, that's a present tense word, establishes. It's a present tense word. It means he's he's put us in a position, and that position is immovable even today. And it's a continu- it's implying this kind of continual strengthening of his bond and his word here. All right. And but then the next three are awesome. Anointed, sealed, given. They're all errorist tense. They're all past tense things that they, they happen in the past, but they're ongoing. You see what ha- we have been anointed, we have been sealed, we have been given the Holy Spirit, have been given the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit seals us, guarantees our position in Christ is immovable. All of us, all of us, as believers, as Christians, all of us, from the moment of our salvation, have the Holy Spirit. This is a blunt one right here. Because if there was ever a cause for somebody not to have the Holy Spirit, it would be the Corinthians because he's arguing with them about it. But he's telling them they're united with him and guaranteed and sealed through him. In fact, some other places, Second Corinthians 5, verse 5, he says, we'll get there eventually. He says, he who has God, who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. We already have it. Already have it. Not waiting for it. Already have it. Ephesians 1 verse 13. Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. He says, in him, in Christ, you also, Ephesians, you guys also, when you, when you heard the word of truth. Look at this. He's given a time. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. So when you heard the gospel and believed in him, when that happened, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. In that moment, when you heard God's word in your spirit, inside, and you believed in your heart, and you put your faith in him, at that moment, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. There is no day down the road that you're going to get lucky enough to have the Holy Spirit. You got him at that moment. In fact, not only do you have him, he is what seals you. And verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. To the praise of his glory. So it's the Holy Spirit's job to the glory of God himself to secure you, not yours. So there's no hope of getting him some other day. You either have him through your salvation, ladies and gentlemen, or you're not saved. It's as simple as that. The Corinthians here, just like Paul, they're already sealed. They already have the Holy Spirit in their hearts. It's already there. And that should be burning their conscience. It's affirming Paul's conscience. It should be burning theirs. But the last word Paul uses here is a word Paul uses frequently, as I just read. You just heard it several other times. That's that word guarantee. It's a noun. It's a guarantee. It's a a noun. It's not describing something. It is something. 
It is a guarantee that you possess through the Holy Spirit that God is going to do what he says. You can take him at his word for sure because his Holy Spirit guarantees that these people have issues. Think about who these people are. They got problems. These letters he's writing are, are scathing letters at them. A lot of it. He's had nothing but headaches out of these people, yet he's still telling them they have a guarantee. Not once saved, always saved. Don't think about it that way. Think about once a butterfly, never a worm again. The butterfly might have problems. The butterfly might not be perfect, might bust up a wing or two, might have some issues, but it will never be a caterpillar again. It's now a butterfly. Or think of it as once adopted into the family of God, never to be an orphan again. You will always be a child of God. Doesn't mean you won't disobey. Doesn't mean you don't face some discipline. Doesn't mean you won't run away at some period of time. But you are a child of God now. It's done. One commentary put it this way. Associated with the idea of sealing. S-E-A-L-I-N-G. Sealing. Are the ideas of ownership. Authentic, uh, authentication. Security. The believer is branded as God's property. The reality of his faith is attested and his status is guaranteed. Man, that's good stuff. Uh, Look, there aren't multiple gods here. You know, there's not Jesus over here, the Holy Spirit over here, you know, the Father over there. And they're telling Paul one thing. One of them's telling Paul one thing. One of them's telling the Corinthians. So that's not the case. They're all one. Paul, the Corinthians, all of them are one in the same one which is Christ, the same one God, which is Christ. They're placed in that same Christ by the same Holy Spirit. They are established there by the same Father. The same Holy Spirit seals them there. The same Holy Spirit is guaranteeing their salvation to the Father. You know, I feel like we could put out a whole lot of fires here. I feel like we could put out a whole lot of fires if we would come back to this. And, I, and I'm going to end up here, in here, but, um, you know, we, we, we as believers, as brothers and sisters, man, we got hills to climb. I know that. We got a lot of hills to climb. Sometimes we might even reach some, some impasses where we're not sure we can get around this, but man, if we would come back to this, this is the one foundation That was laid by God. Paul says it is God who establishes us with you. It is God who establishes us with you. It's not up to Paul. It's not up to Corinth. It's not up to Baptists. It's not up to Methodists. It's not up to conservative. It's not up to liberal. You know, it's it's not up to... um, Dads and children. It's not up to any of It's God who establishes our salvation. It is God who decides who's going to be his child. It is God who does that, who will be anointed, who will be sealed, who will be guaranteed. That's up to God. And sometimes I think as brothers and sisters, man, we might, we might be running into all these walls trying to make it, make ourselves connect. But sometimes we just need to stop and look back down at the foundation that we are established on. God put us on the same one. God put us on the same one. So, again, preach one word. Preach one word. Follow one direction. 
And look, man, accept that we have one identity in Christ. And maybe, you know, you don't have that identity. Maybe you don't, that's not where you're coming from. Maybe you feel like uh, grace is something that you could never be afforded. Maybe your past or your present has put you in a place where you can't imagine anything holy sealing you. I can tell you right now, as somebody who has come from an epic past of drug abuse and in and out of jail and horrible situations, that that is the case. I could let Paul tell you that. As someone who was a contract killer and a hitman who specifically targeted the people of Christ, and yet Christ made him uh, the chosen one to author much of his own word, I can promise you for a fact that if you believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth that Jesus and Lord, you will be saved. You know how I know that? Because that's what his word says, and I take him at his word. Do it today. Just tap out, man. Say, Lord, I'm, I'm done trying to make this work my own way. I'm done trying to find angles. I'm done trying to, trying to make myself better. I, I surrender. Lord, I give you my life. I know I'm a sinner. Make me whole. Make me clean. Forgive me. I don't care how you say it. Say it how you want to say it. He knows what you want to say. And then tell him, my life is yours. Place it in his hands. And then look, man, hit us up. Tell us. We want to pray for you. We want to encourage you. We want to help you find brothers and sisters that can help guide you and walk with you and encourage you. And that it becomes something we boast on. Man, look what Christ did with them. And you could say, man, look what Christ did with them over here too, you know. And if you're in uh, Tempe, we'd love for you to be part of what we're doing. But let me pray. Lord, I love you. I thank you again for the privilege of being in your word. You're an amazing, incredible God. Thank you for grace. Lord, help us live lives that focus on your word, Lord, that follow your direction, and that live in an identity that is Christ alone and not in ourselves, Lord. I love you, and I ask that you be glorified in my life, in our life, Salt River Community Church in Tempe, Arizona. God, you're amazing. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.